It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Wasn't Rusty great? Wasn't that just a wonderful, warm conversation we had there? Uh, Just a true salt-of-the-earth guy, no nonsense. There was a mystery in his family for years and years and years. Who's that woman in the portrait hanging on the wall with her name in the corner? And then he gets a phone call at 2 in the morning from a historian here in Utah who has solved the family's mystery. Not only that, uh, but informs him that that woman's mother... (laughs) was the first woman to cast a legal ballot here in the United States. Just a a fascinatingly beautiful story. Uh, Maybe movie-worthy. Certainly novel. Maybe movie-worthy. I I would would absolutely read that book, and I I might be convinced to go watch that movie. Beautiful story. Uh, You know what? I'll tell you what. Producer Amy... See if if there's any excuse we can come up with to speak to Rusty again. Uh, I just enjoyed chatting with him so much. If you missed it, if you missed this conversation uh, with this man who just today was at Arlington Cemetery with his granddaughter uh, there at a memorial service for his great-great-grandmother, Seraph Young, who, as I mentioned, cast the first uh, ballot as a female here in the United States about 150 years ago. They had to correct the spelling on the headstone there, and so they were gathered up for that event. If you missed that, please uh, find some time today. Navigate your way to the KSL News Radio app. If you don't have that downloaded already, I insist you do so. Powered by Any Hour Services, you download that app on there. You have access to not only the expert reporting here at KSL News Radio, but the podcasts. Go back and listen to the conversation between myself and uh, Rusty Rice Jr., the great great grandson of Seraph. Young Ford. Uh, I believe uh, strongly that you will enjoy that. Check that out. Uh, All right. With uh, a few moments left here in the program, I want to uh, welcome to the show Paul Nelson, KSL News Radio reporter. Paul, sir, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, though. Although I I want to meet this rusty guy. Uh, Didn't have a chance to meet him, but you've talked him to the sky. So next time, just uh, make sure that I'm, you know, in the studio or something like that. Very good. Really, really cool, dude. Uh, You you, uh, each day you get different assignments uh, to cover. Today you're looking at a poor uh, little four year old youngster who was forgotten inside a school bust uh, within the Weber School District. The district says they're looking into the incident. But what happened? What is this incident? Well, basically, this little boy was left on the bus after um, for at least two hours, according to uh, the parents. They say that Miles actually got on the bus, buckled in. They were headed off to preschool. But then um, the often in the afternoon, another bus brought him home because he was left uh, by the driver, apparently. Now, according to Weber, they're not doing interviews, but they did issue a statement that said that, yes, there was a preschool child left unattended on a bus for an extended period of time. And they admit. Um, they have safety protocols that do require that every single bus driver actually walk the entire bus to make sure that no students are actually left behind. And it's not just for special needs kids or preschool kids, but also, you know, kids that fall asleep, you know, sometimes. So they they make sure that nobody was actually left behind. So when they were made aware of it, they did launch an investigation and they have reviewed what happened and they determined that there was no malicious intent on the part of the employee. But they do say safe, certain safety protocols were not followed, 
And so the kid was accidentally left on the bus. As far as what the driver is facing when it comes to disciplinary action, that's something they're not allowed to do. But they say they're offering their, the family the most sincere apologies that, that they could possibly give. They're not allowed to discipline the driver? What's not allowed? No, they're not allowed to tell me what I they're see. doing to discipline the driver. But I see. They're, they're disciplining the driver. Matter of fact, there, is a, there are a couple of people who reached out to KSL after they, they saw this story, and they say basically the exact same thing happened to them. For example, one woman in the Jordan School District said that her daughter, a kindergartner, was left on a school bus um, back in November. And uh, basically it was the exact same problem, is that the driver – uh, didn't adequately walk the distance of the bus to make sure that the kids were off. Now, in that case, uh, apparently the driver realized what was going on and then took the kid immediately home, was very upset that this kind of thing happened. And apparently, according to this woman, she says that the Jordan School District actually uh, fixed the problem as fast as they possibly can. Mm. Uh, it's odd to me, and I wonder if it's only the bus driver who will face any type of action. I, I understand that Weber School District has uh, a policy, as we find ourselves in the midst of this COVID-19 era, uh, that the bus ought to be cleaned after each route. How would uh, how would a child be missed if uh, that cleaning protocol is being carried out? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, they didn't mention the cleaning protocol, but of course, that is the other thing that has to happen. Um, so that would be like another layer of defense. But uh, like I said, with the Jordan, the woman in the Jordan School District, she says that there are alarms that um, but buses, uh, many buses actually have, where as soon as you turn the bus off, the engine stops running, the alarm starts blaring in the back of the bus. Um, and that actually forces, in order to turn it off, the bus driver themselves, they have to actually walk to the back and turn it off themselves. And that forces them to actually walk all the way back ah. there. Um, but we are hearing reports that some of those alarms started malfunctioning as the bus was actually in motion. So um, some of the things that we're hearing that there could be some drivers that might turn them off uh, because otherwise they would just keep going all day long. So they turn off the alarm instead of, uh, you know, leaving it on so that, you know, the bus driver would have to actually walk all the way back. Now, the woman that I spoke with said that's something she wants to uh, work with her lawmakers about to pass a new law, making it so that the bus driver can't turn off that alarm unless they physically walk across it and they can't dismantle it or tamper with it. They actually have to leave it there, and there have to be other boxes that make it uh, so that those alarms can't be tampered with. Mm. Uh, well, uh, luckily, the the young boy, he's, he's all right, right? The, after, what was it, two hours on the bus, he came out to okay, right? Maybe a little, yeah, he, maybe a little he, frightened. Yeah, he's, yeah, but it's one of those things where the, the parents, when you hear that this happens to your kids. Oh, my gosh, um, yeah. The, the parent, yeah, the parents, understandably, freak out. As a matter of fact, this woman that I spoke with said that, you know, she had her husband talk to the district, and the district fixed the problem as fast as they could, but she said I was in no position to talk to them at yeah. all because I was just in this state of just anger that I couldn't I couldn't deal with it at the time. So um, it, it's, it's a situation where you hear like, well, yeah, the kid was left on the bus for a few hours, but when it's your kid, oh my goodness, that's when everything just starts to just, you, you start to really freak out about how could this possibly happen absolutely uh paul nelson ksl news radio reporter thank you so much uh best of luck to you thanks man appreciate it all righty uh that's going to do it for today's episode of live mike tonight tonight there's big stuff going on uh there is a gubernatorial debate moderated by ksl news radio's own doug wright 
And then later on, uh, the first in a series of three presidential debates. Uh, tomorrow, we will dedicate the entire 1 o'clock hour to walking back over uh, what happens tonight. There are huge questions. Uh, we'll see if they're answered tonight. Uh, time, though, now for me to step aside and make way for the great Jeff Kaplan as he delivers Jeff Kaplan's afternoon news here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.